0: Welcome to episode 34 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 4. Together we are creating a library of stories. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach and stories heal. Listeners, I am recording this intro to the 34th episode of Sharing Life Lessons on a very important day, which is the Elections Day in America. And my only hope and wish is that whoever the newly elected president is, I wish that he is able to restore and bring back the peace, the trust, the serenity, the health and the unity that our land, our country needs so much at the present time. That being said, with a big amen, let me introduce you to the topic that we are going to be talking about today. It is a little different. It is about compulsive eating disorder and food addiction. Truth be told, up until now, I didn't realize that food addiction was a clinical addiction just like alcoholism is and drug addiction is. Um, Hopefully, we'll get a lot more details from our guests for today, but just so that all of us are aware of what food addiction really means, I have a definition here. People with food addiction lose control over their eating behavior and find themselves spending excessive amounts of time involved with food and overeating. Food addicts gain pleasure from the anticipation, availability, and ingestion of food. Our guest for today is a recovered compulsive eater. After a near lifetime of compulsive eating, she found recovery through a 12-step program. Since then, she has witnessed tremendous change in her life. Not only is her relationship with food much healthier, but she started life coaching training so that she can mentor others in early stages of recovery. Everyone, let's welcome Cindy jones Lantier cindy welcome to sharing life lessons it is wonderful to have you on the show
1: oh hamida it is so good for me to be here i'm so happy you reached out to me for one thing i have enjoyed listening to your podcast as research and i found a new podcast to follow but also it's just important for me to tell my story
0: That's always nice to hear when someone, whether a listener or a guest says that, obviously that feels very good for me, but thank you for listening and thank you for being supportive in that way. So Cindy, I'm going to ask you to tell the listeners a bit about yourself, please.
1: Well, in a lot of ways, I'm just like everybody else. I middle-aged, I live in California. Well, that's not like everybody else, but on traffic days, it feels like it. I have cats. I don't have kids. I have a wonderful husband. So in some ways, my story is very much like everybody else's. But in other ways, my life is pretty miraculous because I now live a life of purpose and meaning. And it hasn't always been the case. In fact, I am a recovered compulsive eater. And for many, many, many years, as far back as I can remember, I had an unhealthy relationship with food. And at some point that went from being just an unhealthy relationship to being a compulsive behavior and a mental obsession. But basically through the grace of God, and I found the 12 steps My life is completely different now that I have time and emotional energy to give to things like this. Before I was all caught up in who I am and what I want, and not just about food, but about everything in my life. What I have found is that one of the common threads through people with addiction, whether it be a substance or a behavior, is that we want what we want, when we want it, and we want it now. So my life was very me focused. But in fact, I remember telling a friend of mine not long ago, I don't do anything I don't want to do, which at the time I thought was really cool, you know, that I'm living my life. But now I can look back at that statement and I'm horrified by it because I love other people and I should be doing things for them that while I want to do, sometimes that requires you doing things that you don't want to do, right? I mean, you want to be there for the people that you love, but you don't necessarily want to do the dishes. So now I do a lot of things I don't love, but I love doing them.
0: And I understand that because you want to do things for people, you are going to uh, launch a new podcast. Tell us something I about am. that.
1: I am. Thank you for mentioning that. So I'm launching a new podcast in mid-November called Adulting for Addicts. And the reason I chose that name is that once people get into recovery, again, regardless of the substance or the behavior We have a lot in common. And one of the things we have in common is that we lack adulting skills. Most of us have been so knee deep in our addictions for so long that we missed some emotional maturity points. It is not uncommon for addicts to have horrible credit scores to owe money to not know anything about budget to not know anything about time management, because our money all went to our substance and our behavior and so did our time. So we never learned how to calendar block or make a budget, or just really be present to another human being because we were always present to our addiction. And if you were around you were around and if you weren't, it was all mine. I didn't have to share. So The point of the podcast is that some of us are putting our lives on track for the first time, so making them productive members of society with meaningful, purposeful lives. So that's going to be the main part of the show. Great. Thank you for sharing that. What date are you launching? 19th of November, Thursday, the 19th.
0: Great. Wonderful. So that'll go in the show notes as well. Cindy, before you start your story, I want to ask you this. For those of us who don't know what it means to be a compulsive eater, can you just tell us what does it mean by being a compulsive eater?
1: That's an excellent question, and I'm glad you asked because I forget that not everybody knows what that means because we all pretty much know what an alcoholic is or a heroin addict, right? But eating is so insidious in our culture you don't just eat to fuel your body but everyone eats to celebrate we eat when we're sad we all eat for emotional reasons as well as for nutritional reasons but a compulsive eater is someone who takes that to an extreme basically food becomes our god not food eating eating becomes our god and the reason why i corrected myself and said not necessarily food but eating is because it's the eating behavior that we have a problem with. Some of us restrict. So again, that's not about food, but it's about the eating behavior. Some of us binge, some of us purge, some of us overeat. When we do eat, some of us graze all day. But the common factor for a compulsive eater is that we have a mental obsession about eating and that it's not just about that we eat unhealthy foods all the time. I can compulsively eat, you know, very healthy foods. I was on keto for a long time and thought I was doing great, had it all under control because I'm losing weight and isn't that wonderful what we all want and all that. But then one day I stepped outside of myself and noticed how fast I was eating. I wasn't really tasting my food. I certainly wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't eating for nutrition. I was eating because I wasn't even all that hungry, but it was mealtime and I could eat, so I did hmm. So it becomes a lot of mental obsession. And I, I hear people say that they never think about food as much as they do when they're on a diet. And if you've ever experienced that kind of triple it and think about that being all the time, whether you're on a diet or not. Yeah, that's kind of what compulsive eating is, that it feels as though you have absolutely no control. It almost feels like your body's on autopilot. I was a grazer. I wasn't much of a binger, so I didn't just go on these, like the food equivalent of a bender. I didn't do that very often. I won't say I never did it. I didn't do it very often, but I was one because I eat out of boredom. So I would eat breakfast, clean up from that, Sit down at my desk to work. Next thing I know, 15 minutes later, I've got the refrigerator door open and I've got a cheese stick. No harm in a cheese stick, right? It's, it's a cheese stick, except it's not because 15 minutes later, I may be getting a scoop of peanut butter and 15 minutes later, I'm back and it's, I'm not binging, you know, not like you typically think of, mm-hmm. like I don't eat a dozen eggs at a time or a whole pie or anything like that, but I'm eating mindlessly. I'm eating for reasons other than to nourish my body. And I'm eating to fill something that is usually indescribable. And because I heard someone say you can't get enough of what you don't want in the first place. And the 12-step programs are a spiritual program. So... The implication of that is that we're eating to fill a spiritual hole or drinking or drugging or gambling or shopping or whatever to fill a spiritual need or hole. And so you can't get enough chocolate to fill a spiritual hole. You can't get enough alcohol uh, or anything else because you're putting a round peg in a square hole. And so that's what I was trying to do. I had a spiritual need that I did not recognize And I was trying to fill that need with food. And I didn't consciously set out to do that. I didn't say, wow, I have this need. I'm going to have a cheese stick. It wasn't anything like that. But I definitely can see that once I started working on the spiritual aspect of my life in a specific way, that the need to eat has lessened quite a bit.
0: That's that's good. Thank you for letting us know what really compulsive eating means. Cindy, do tell us your story though. That's what we're here for.
1: Yes. Well, like I said, I am a recovered compulsive eater and I had this horrible relationship with food and it became that compulsive behavior and that mental obsession that I mentioned where I just somehow went from being like, since I use the word relationship, it went from being A boyfriend who isn't very good for you to one who abuses you. Somewhere it crossed in that line to where it wasn't just that I had an unhealthy relationship with food, but I'd had a pathologically unhealthy relationship. And it undermined everything in my life. It undermined my confidence, my self-esteem, obviously. It undermined my productivity. It undermined my finances because I was spending money. I didn't need to spend on food. I didn't need to eat. And like I said, I was every 15 minutes up at the refrigerator, the cabinets or something. So it just undermined the very foundations of my life. And in an unrelated event, I almost died last winter. And when that happened, I had to look at everything in my life. Well, I guess I didn't have to. I chose to. Mm -hmm. It made me so aware of my mortality. I was 55 years old. There's no guarantee how much time I have left. And I know there's no guarantee for anybody. You could get hit by a bus. You could trip and crack your head open. I get that. But just statistically at 55, especially as a compulsive eater, I have heart problems. I have diabetes. I have circulatory problems, blah, 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 blah. And it made me just very aware that really, if I'm lucky, I've got 30 years left. If I'm lucky and I have not taken care of my body probably a single day in the past 55 years, statistically speaking, I'm probably not going to be lucky. I'm probably not going to make it to 85 or 90. When I realized that there's nothing like making you realize you don't want to die, like almost dying that'll Mm -hmm. do it every time. Mm -hmm. And I realized I didn't want to die. And I certainly didn't want to die with the life that I had lived thus far. I felt like I needed to redeem myself for myself, not to anybody else. Like I needed to make the rest of my life count. And while I was going through, that meant I had to look at every aspect of my life. I had to look at how I spent my time, how I spent my money, how I was in my relationships, how I showed up for my husband and my friends and my family. And I also had to look at my eating. Because like I said, it'd become a pathology.
0: Well, I'm curious, when you had that unhealthy relationship with food, were you aware that you had the unhealthy relationship with food? And could not do anything about it? Or you just were not aware that was the case?
1: For most of my life, I wasn't aware. But there came a point where I started trying to control my eating because I became aware that it was a problem. And I became aware that people around me didn't have the same attitude about food that I had. And so I think I'll control it. I'll go on a diet. I'll just eat three meals a day, or I'll just, I'll cut out snacking. I won't eat after six or I'll try intermittent fasting. I'll do keto. I'll do whatever, whatever, whatever. And what I discovered is that I couldn't control it. That's what makes me a compulsive eater instead of someone just who has an unhealthy relationship with food is that given sufficient motivation, I couldn't change it. Mm. And I would face that and then I would bury it. And then it would come up again and I would try to control again and I would see that I couldn't control it again and then I'd ignore it. Because food is hard. I mean, a heroin junkie doesn't ever have to do heroin again. An alcoholic, while they still have to drink, they don't have to drink alcohol. But I still have to eat food. And I didn't want to go through the discomfort, to be really honest. I didn't want to be uncomfortable. And also culturally, I come from the South and everybody in the whole country and probably the whole world has a thing where they love with food or comfort with food. Everybody has that. But in the South, we have elevated that to an art form. Hmm. It is the linchpin of our culture, food is. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I didn't know who I would be without that. I didn't know how to be without food. I'm an excellent cook. I love to cook. And some of my happiest memories in my family involve big meals and the preparation for the big meal and sitting around the table, ten of us all scrunched together because it wasn't meant to hold ten people and sitting there for hours and telling stories and eating this good food and all of that. And I I didn't want I didn't want to give that up because I didn't know how to have it without that. I didn't know how to have the connection with my family without food because like I said, it's the linchpin of Southern society.
0: Cindy, tell us about your relationship with your husband and your friends whilst you were compulsively eating and has that changed since you are not?
1: It has very much changed. My relationship with my husband while I was compulsively eating was very selfish again I want what I want when I want it and I want it now and looking back at the time we had what I thought we had a wonderful relationship but I can see now that whenever we went out to eat I always wanted to go where I wanted to go I always wanted to do what I wanted to do and even if I was dieting and trying to be healthy Then we couldn't go certain places because I couldn't eat anything there. It was still very selfish and not just about food. I was killing myself with food. And that's the ultimate selfish because I was not considering what that would do to my family, to my friends, to my husband, especially.
0: And was he telling you that he thinks you're killing yourself with it? No, no. He just
1: knew... I had a problem. I don't think he really knew until I sat him down and talked to him. I don't think he really knew that compulsive eating was a thing. Okay. Uh, So he was not saying any of those things. But it was also I was manipulative because I wanted my way, not just about food. I wasn't consciously manipulative. I would have sworn at the time I wasn't. But now I can look back and just see a hundred little ways that i wasn't honoring him because i was too busy honoring me and my needs and my wants and what i've learned is that we use the word needs we have really very few needs everything past that is a want and a preference and i was not honoring him because i was more concerned about my preferences now that i'm not eating compulsively I find that I'm much more generous with him. I'm much more honest with him, not just about that was hiding food because I do the grocery shopping. I could buy anything I wanted and just not put it in the kitchen cabinet. And I don't do that anymore, but I'm honest with him in other ways too. I'm honest with him and that I'm being present to him and his needs and wants and preferences. I'm listening to him. I'm... Again, I'm going to use the word I'm honoring him in a way that I couldn't when I was all wrapped up in myself. And with my friends, one friend I'm thinking of in particular, I was very selfish and very stubborn. There's a thing called oppositional defiance, which is basically if you say yes, I'll say no. If you say the sky is blue, I'll say the sky is pink. And I have one friend in particular that I was very much that way with. That I love her dearly to this day, but we bring out, we tend to bring out the worst in each other, mm-hmm. even though I love her dearly. And I know she loves me. And I know that part of that was my need to control, my need to be right, my need to be the center of what was going on. And now we haven't, because of COVID, we haven't actually been together in several months, but our chats and our texts and our phone calls are a little easier now. And I suspect that once we see each other, they will be even easier.
0: Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, Yeah. Cindy, so you did have an addiction. Mm -hmm. Just before talking to you, I would not have put compulsive eating in the same bucket as addiction because in my head that wasn't the case, but thank you for Uh, explaining that to us, that it really is. So you did go through an addiction for many, many years, Mm -hmm. and then you got aware that it is an addiction and you have to do something about it because of your near-death experience. And now you're on the other side of it. So you have, I'm sure, a lot of life lessons to share with the listeners. Can you tell us what those life lessons are? Sure.
1: I have several, but I'll just pick a couple. The two that at this point, I am most convicted about, they're kind of related, so I'll just share them together. One is the value of process over results, and the other is extreme ownership. And what I mean by process over results is what happens in the world is not my control because it depends on what other people do. And I can't be for other people. I can't do for other people, but I do have control over my processes. I have control over whether I meet someone with love and kindness, or if I'm stingy and selfish and stubborn. I don't have control over how fast I lose weight or how fast I get fit, but I have control over whether or not I show up every day. Do I do my exercises every day? Do I eat right every day? And unfortunately the answer to both of those is no. Not every day, but I'm better at it than I was because I recognize that I can do what I can do. I can't make the scale go down X number of pounds in X number of days. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things, especially as a woman with all the hormonal stuff in our bodies that mean we have no control over the scale. But I can control what I do. I can control what I eat now that I've been through the steps. I can control it with God's help. And I have over in my business, I have control over my processes, my actions, but not the results. Now, extreme ownership, that sounds kind of like it's diametrically opposed because I can't take responsibility for the results. But I look at them as really being the same in that if I have influence over something, if it is in my circle of influence, I am responsible. My dad taught me when I went to my very first job on my very first day of my very first job if I see something that needs to be done and I am capable and able of doing it is my responsibility regardless of whether or not it's my responsibility
0: that is such a good lesson I wish everyone would hear this and execute it at work because not everybody feels and works that way
1: no, I used to work at Walmart and I was a cashier and I, I got to do a lot of special things that I wouldn't have gotten to do as a cashier because I was willing to be busy. When they saw that I was willing to be busy because if it needed to be done, it was not my job to straighten the candy aisle, for example, but if I knew it needed to be done... And I'm standing there waiting on customers, that aisle of candy right before you get to the cash register. I would be straightening it and fixing the magazines and all. So I got to do things. Management offered me the opportunity to expand my skill set. I eventually was promoted and things that didn't happen to other people because they would just stand there. As I was saying, my dad taught me that. And so I look in my life and there are things that are not directly my responsibility, but I see they need to be done. I see that my actions and my attitudes can impact them. That makes them my responsibility. So on a grand scale, if I want a better world, no, I cannot change the world, but I can change my world. I can change the way I interact with you. I can change the way I interact with my friend that I mentioned. Yeah, I can change the way that I honor my husband. And in that sense, that does make the world a better place for those people.
0: Interesting. I want to take extreme ownership and ask you, how have you used extreme ownership in your effort to get out of your addiction?
1: When I realized that, I was hearing a lot of people in addiction talk about the trauma that they faced as a child, talking about. The reasons why they drank or drugged or ate or picked up whatever. And I realized that on the one hand, those are all really good reasons because it's a coping mechanism. On the other hand, I don't have to choose that coping mechanism. Yes, I have to cope. We all do. But I don't have to do something that destructive. And What it's come down to is when I do my 12-step work, there are things that I do not want to do. I don't know how well your audience knows the steps, but step number nine is we um, make a list of people that we've harmed and we make amends to them. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't
1: want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to do that because it's embarrassing. It's, It's potentially humiliating. You know, you're humbling yourself and nobody likes to do that, but I own my recovery. Nobody else does. The traumatic things that happened to me when I was a child have nothing to do with it. My first boss who sexually assaulted me has nothing to do with it. Those may have been the things that I coped with, but ultimately it is my responsibility to do the work, to do the things that I know will help me. And that's how i've used extreme ownership one of my brothers died my first day in recovery and i could hear myself in my mind say i could eat today and nobody would blame me Mm -hmm. everybody would go well it was your first day in recovery of course you ate that's the only coping mechanism you have i hadn't been through enough of the steps to have good coping mechanisms yet But I ultimately knew I am responsible. My brother is not responsible for my recovery. I am. And I can eat, in which case I can delay the joy of recovery and sit in the pain for a little longer. Or I cannot. And I could feel genuine emotion, which was still painful because my brother just died young. He died at 62. But... By not eating, I got to feel the
0: grief and process it. That is a solid example. Thank you for sharing that. So, Cindy, you've given us your story and your life lessons. And this, this I'm sure, is going to be very helpful for someone who probably is a compulsive eater but doesn't even know it. So you've given them the ways to recognize that they are compulsive eaters. And if they are, then... Uh, What is it that they can do to get out of it? I know you've mentioned the 12 steps. If you have any resources about the 12 steps, can you please pass them on to me and I will add them to the show notes? Sure,
1: I will. I will. Thank you for that. If you are a compulsive eater or suspect you might be a compulsive eater and you want help, can I give out my email address? Absolutely. So my email address is really easy. It's Cindy, my name, at adultingforaddicts.com. And I would be happy to talk to you to help you decide whether or not you really are a compulsive eater, if you're ready for recovery, what you want to do. The 12 steps are not the only option. They're the option that worked for me. So they're what I can help you with, but I can help you explore whether or not it's the right thing for you. The main thing I want to say is that if you think you are a compulsive eater, reach out to someone who can understand. So the biggest thing you can do is admit it to yourself. And then admit it to
0: another person. And then follow the process. And then follow the process. And then be the extreme owner of your recovery. Be the extreme owner
1: of your recovery because no one can do it for you. Your sponsor can't do it for you. God can't do it for you. You have to do it yourself.
0: That is a very good final message, Cindy. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was wonderful talking to you.
1: Hamida, thank you very much. It was wonderful to be here.
0: Honestly, I got a lot of new information from my discussion with Cindy, and I hope that my listeners felt the same. Yes, we spoke about compulsive eating disorder, but there are so many other kinds of disorders and addictions, and everything that Cindy said could relate to all, of, all such kinds of addictions. Examples of some, some addictions are, if you are a clutterer, you could have an addiction, cocaine use addiction, collecting debt addiction. Food addiction, gambling, marijuana use, nicotine use, pills use, sex and love addiction. If you are a workaholic, that could be an addiction. And I would also add shopping addiction. Cindy really said it very well in one sentence. She said, if you are an addict, this is how you possibly could feel. You would feel like we want what we want, when we want it. And we want it now. For those who are not sure if they have an addiction or for those who are aware that they have an addiction and need any kind of help, there are so many resources out there. Please call the National Addiction Hotline. I have also uh, added in the show notes Cindy's email address as well as the link to 12steps.com website where you will get a wealth of information regarding any kind of addiction that you may think that you have. And lastly, here are my few key takeaways from this discussion. One, we have very few needs. Everything past that is a want and a preference. Two, trust and value process over results. Cindy said, I have control over my process, but I don't have control over the external forces and the results. And lastly, Exercise extreme ownership. If something is in my circle of influence, I am responsible. If my actions and attitude can impact something, then that makes it my responsibility, even if it is directly not my responsibility. That brings us to the end of this show. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.